Let's open the Word of God back up to Psalm 19 for a moment. Let's learn what we can in a limited number of minutes about David from the Word of God. We sang in Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. And we're about to open the law of the Lord. And we need to get our souls converted. And that is changed. To convert something is to change it from one form to another. We want to be converted. We want the Lord, by His educational process of enlightening us and instructing us to convert us from our natural way of conduct to His spiritual way of living. We can be better. You can be better. I can be better. We want to be better. Lord, help us be better. Help us to be more like David. I don't have an infatuation with David any more than I should have. I'm not obsessed with David any more than I should be. I just go by the emphasis of God's Word. I don't care what anybody else preaches. I don't care about any ritual manual that formal denominations have. All I want to do is have the emphasis of God's Word. And when I read God's Word, I know more about David inside, outside, young, old, all the way through his life, sins, confessions, praise, thanksgivings, conscience, character, and all of it than any ten men combined in the Bible. You don't know anyone else in the Bible like you know David. You don't know anyone else even close. You don't know what Paul was like. All you know is what he taught some churches. We know David in and out. And I want to, I want to share him with you. But Psalm 19.7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect. David wrote those words, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. We come in, Mark just prayed for us, that we're simple, foolish, dust, and dumb. And Lord, make us wise. Yeah. And he's able. And we want him to do that for us. David gave us these wonderful psalms. They're to be used in both testaments. We read in the New Testament that we are to worship with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That's why we have three hymnals. We have a Psalter. We have a Presbyterian hymnal that has more hymns of praise. And we have a Primitive Baptist songbook that has spiritual songs. We have those three hymnals for that reason. But one of the things we're supposed to sing are psalms. And so we've sung psalms today. And because we don't know how to sing psalms, because we don't know Hebrew rhythm or meter or its rhyming words, we use a psalter from time to time. Because we want to use these psalms. The Bible tells us in the book of James that if a man is merry, he ought to be singing psalms. That's what it says. It doesn't say shooting off fireworks. It says singing psalms when he's merry. We're out of touch with the Psalms as much as we should be. But I thank God that he's put us in touch with the Psalms. We weren't raised or trained to be in touch with the Psalms like we should be. And I thank God that he's led us to fill our lives with the Psalms because they're part of New Testament worship as well. David had a great understanding of New Testament worship because he was filled with the Spirit in the Old Testament like we are in the New. That's why he would write in the Old Testament that we better make sure that we sing with the understanding. Even though that's a New Testament principle, he knew it in the old because he was full of the Holy Ghost and knew that there was a whole lot more than just outward ritual performance. Okay, let's get going here. Now, I need a couple ushers that are attentive. If you don't have the list... Well, now, everybody sits down because you must not be attentive. Uh, 
attentive means raise your hand if you don't have a pen and grab some of those pens. Raise your hand if you don't have a writing utensil and raise your hand if you don't have the little list. The little list that has 75 blanks, 70 blanks or so for you to write the traits. Now, you know, I, I sent them with the uh, preparatory last night, so we may not, let's just make sure we have enough of those. I hope we do. Raise your hand if you don't have the little list. It helps to have that list to be able to write down the point that we're going over for a few minutes before we go to a new one. I love sober, formal, reverent worship, but I'm not bothered by giving you a pen or a piece of paper. Because learning is more important than just putting on a show. We want to learn. We're, we're in God's house to learn. I want to preach the word, and I want you to be able to remember it as well as possible. Thank you very much, attentive men. Beautiful. Young men. Oh, I was grieved last night in preparation with my wife, wishing I could go back and be about 10 years old again and live the last 50 years of my life differently. You are blessed. Somebody in here that's 10 years old, raise your hand. Oh, Liam, you're 10. You've got my life in front of you. My life's behind me. Live the next 50 years mightily. Anyone else in here? Joey, you're 10. You can be like David as a 10-year-old and an 11-year-old, and a 12-year-old. I can't. It's too late. David was the man after God's own heart. He has character traits that the Bible details for us, for us to learn and to adopt. I want you to catch a vision of being like the man God loved and told us so much about. Every day, you make all your choices based on priorities, that you have set for your life, or you haven't set, and it's just natural instinct or the worldly flesh or the devil or peer pressure that causes you to make your choices, David had exceptional priorities. You already heard the priorities from Nathan this morning in Psalm 144. What is the priority? God is the Lord. God is the Lord. That is Elijah. Where is Elijah? God is the Lord, Elohim Jehovah, Elijah, Eli for Elohim, Jah for Jehovah, whose God, Elohim, is Jehovah. That's your name. You make sure that God, your God, is Jehovah. That's the priority. Everything for God's glory. There is a cause. And there is a program I want to be part of and to help and it's to build this church. Liam and Joey, you can build this church. 50 years from now, I will have fertilized many dandelions. Ask your dad what that means when you get home. You will bury me in the ground. But you'll be, you two will be here. Will you be the way that Nathan taught from Psalm 144? Or are you going to flake off and float away like the other worthless souls have? Don't do it. Be faithful to God. Be a David.
Each point that I make needs to be answered with the questions, am I like that? Am I truly like that? Do others believe that about me? See, it doesn't matter whether you believe it about you. Do others believe that about me? And that takes us back to the verse I opened up with, Proverbs 22, 1. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. Joey, is that a good name in our church? Well, you're going to have to make it a good name because it's a choice you make as to how you treat other people and how much you love the Lord and not in that order. Do others believe it about me? God delighted in David and we seek to know the reasons why. He was God's favorite and all kings were measured by him. We want to measure ourselves by him. More details of David's life are recorded than for any other man. Biographies motivate men. Biographies are great things to read. Biographies about other successful, great, God-fearing, noble, accomplished men. But this extensive biography is in the Bible. It was in God's divine library given to us. Okay, number 44. Let's go for it. Four words. To make up number 44, you should already have 43 written down from your homework assignment of last Sunday. Number 44. Contented with God himself. Four blanks. Four words, contented with God himself. Number 44. Let's turn to Psalm 63. Psalm 63. David was contented with God himself. When I hear you, when God hears you, when others hear you, whining about your health, whining about your job, whining about your family, whining about politics, we wonder what in the world is wrong with you because something is drastically wrong. You are not contented with God. You are distorted by health or wealth or jobs or family or children or politics when you should be contented with God himself. David was. David's priority, whose God is the Lord, whose God is Jehovah, was contented with God. Let's look at a few verses. We cannot take long. Please understand that I am in serious trouble on this series. Psalm 63, verse 3. Because thy loving kindness is better than life. Amen. It's better than your health. It's better than your wealth. It's better than the politics of America. It's better than your family. It's better than your marriage. It's better than everything. Because it says life. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be, my soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips when I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. This, this, these verses have two words that we want. Thy loving kindness is better, so we have this better than life, and satisfied there in verse 5. And he is satisfied because he remembers and because he meditates on the Lord. Amen. The Lord is first in his life. And so he was contented with God himself. So, when you are contented with God himself, it doesn't matter about your circumstances. It doesn't matter about the feelings that assault you by your temperament or emotions. 
because you are already content with God and committed to be content and satisfied with Him so that if something is taken away, you're still satisfied. If something you were hoping for doesn't happen, you're still satisfied. When those feelings come on of nothing's going right, oh, what a lie. Why do you listen to lies from the devil? That is a fiery dart from the devil. That isn't the Holy Spirit. That isn't wisdom. That isn't knowledge. That isn't good. That isn't noble. That isn't adult. Why do you think it? I'm satisfied. David was that way. And he told us this in the verses I just gave you. Look at Psalm 4. We'll get a, we'll get a few more. Psalm 4. David was contented with God himself. Amen. Himself referring to God. Contented with God himself. All he needed was God. Psalm 4, verse 6. There be many that say, Who will show us any good? Ever felt like that? There's nothing good in my life right now. Nothing's going right right now in my life. Well, David's being kind and saying, there be many that say, who will show us any good? Is that you sometimes? Is that me sometimes? Are we tempted toward thinking those kind of negative thoughts? Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep. For thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. Amen. Look at David. His safety, his security, his gladness, his triumph, his excitement in life was greater than the prosperity of the wicked because the Lord was with him. Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance. He didn't say, Lord, drop a billion bucks on my palace. Lord, give me another 10 women in my harem. Give me another 10 victories over the Philistines. He didn't say any of that. He said, lift up the light of thy countenance upon me. When I remember thee in, my, in the night watches, when I meditate upon thee, Lord, just come to me. With you, I don't need anyone or anything else. David was content with God himself. Look at Psalm 43. I'll use this a few times. I hope that you don't mind in 75 traits of David that a few verses get used more than once. Sure. They overlap. And here's one that ought to be overlapped and lapped again. Psalm 43 and verse 4, David speaking about God leading him back to his tabernacle and his house to worship him. Then will I go unto the altar of God. Psalm 43, 4. Then will I go unto the altar of God, unto God my exceeding joy. Amen. Yea, upon the harp will I praise thee, O God, my God. Exceeding joy. That means the joy that you get from anything else in life, whether it's a spouse or your children or a job or success or a garden or a yard or a house or a car or anything, there's joy that exceeds it. Amen. The joy that you have in the Lord himself. It's to be content with God himself. Look at, okay, we've already been to Psalm 60. Let's go to Psalm 65 this time. Psalm 65. Psalm 65 and verse 4. Blessed is the man whom thou choosest and causest to approach unto thee, that he may dwell in thy courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of thy house, even of thy holy temple. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of thy house. 
Now that's not the goodness on the job. That's not the goodness in the gym. That's not the goodness in the family. That's the goodness in the house of God worshiping Him. Amen. Just hearing about the goodness of God should lift us up and satisfy our souls. Yes. Look at Psalm 84. Psalm 84 and verse 10. Our young brother Michael started the prayer meeting this morning with Psalm 84 and verse 1. How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. And what's the punctuation mark at the end of that first verse? But an exclamation point. It's not a question. It's a statement. How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. To, get it, to go to church. Now David had the means. David had the personality. David had the person. David had the women. David had the friends. David had the money to have more fun anywhere else than you'll ever have or be able to dream of having. But do you know where he wanted to be? In the house of the Lord. How amiable are thy tabernacles. Not how amiable is my harem. Not how amiable is the house that Hiram had built for me. How amiable is your house, Lord. Psalm 84 and verse 10. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. Do you know what 1% is? 1% is 1 out of 100. What's 1 out of 1,000? One tenth of 1%. What does this text tell us? That the best the world can offer was less than one tenth of 1% in comparison to the value of being in God's house. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. You don't need to be an apostle. You don't need to be a prophet. You don't need to be an evangelist. You don't need to be a pastor or teacher. Although those are gifts that you should covet. The Bible tells you to. All you need to be is a doorkeeper in the house of God. David was a king. You know, if a doorkeeper said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper, we'd say, well, of course you would. That's all you can aspire to, doorkeeper. This is David saying it. Right. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness, which is a description of great prosperity of having a large estate. Okay, do you understand it? This is power for living above your circumstances, above your enemies, and above your feelings. This precious trait I've just shared with you. I must go on. The Bible says that godliness with contentment is great gain. And when God is the source of your contentment, that is godliness with contentment. It is great gain. It is power for living. For powerful living. It's power for powerful living. To be contented in God. No one can take God away from you. They can take everything else away from you. Everyone else and everything else can disappoint you. But if you have God, He's your exceeding joy, you're satisfied, and it's better than life, and a day with Him is better than a thousand days anywhere else. Number 45. He repented quickly for forgiveness. Repented quickly for forgiveness. Repented quickly for forgiveness. If you don't repent, if I don't repent quickly, then God is displeased, our fellowship is broken, our power is taken away, we lose the joy of our salvation and the power for victorious living. 
We need to repent quickly. God forgives. You don't need to make it up to him with good behavior for even one second. Just humble yourself and say you're a dirty rat and that you sinned against him. You're foolish. You corrupted his perfect way on earth that didn't satisfy you. And would he please forgive you for being a scoundrel? Right. And it's over. It's over. And if it's not over to you, then you're a blasphemer. You're denying his faithfulness or you're denying the sufficiency of Jesus Christ's death on the cross. You're denying one of those two things. It has nothing to do with earning his forgiveness. His forgiveness was already earned on the cross of Calvary and all you need to do is claim it by his faithfulness and justness to forgive you. Look at Psalm 19 since we were there earlier and we've had this read and prayed to us this morning already. Do you know how much scripture we've already had pushed at us this morning from 8.50 on? Thank you, Lord, by the grace of God. He has caused us to draw nigh to him and to approach into his holy courts. Psalm 19, verse 12, who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. David was so quick to confess sins. He said, Lord, who can understand our own errors? Who really knows what's wrong with each of us? Who really knows what's wrong with me? How can I really know what's wrong with me? They're my secret faults. Cleanse thou me from my secret faults that I haven't told you about yet. Now that's quick, that's, that's quick repentance. When you repent about things you don't even know yet. Verse 13, keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. There's an also, meaning there's two things under comparison, secret faults and presumptuous sins presumptuous aren't secret at all. That's where we just go ahead and do it anyway because we want to, because we're rebels, selfish, and greedy. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. He's confessing them already in advance. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. He repented quickly. Look at 25 and verse 7. The four words for number 45 repented quickly for forgiveness. Psalm 25 and verse 7, Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to thy mercy, remember thou me for thy goodness sake, O Lord. This doesn't exactly fit the word quickly, but I like this because later in life, David, when he was no longer a youth, is asking God to remember not the sins of his youth, nor his transgressions. He had confessed them already, because of the character David was, or God wouldn't have anointed him king of Israel at the age of 15, he had already confessed the sins of his youth, but here he is asking God not to remember them because David could remember them, that he was a sinner in the sight of God, but that God was also full of mercy. Look at 32, Psalm 32. Oh, David understood this, and he is going to give us a lesson right now in confession of our sins, and the forgiveness that God gives. Watch this, Psalm 32. These are the words of David. Verse 1, blessed, blessed, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. We're blessed. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence and didn't confess my sins, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Selah. 
Stop and think. He wasn't confessing his sins like he should have at a certain time in his life. And he wants you to think about it, so he put a seal in there. Now he's going to change. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Stop and think about it again. This is beautiful. Look at that fifth verse. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, because that's the only person we truly sin against is God, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Now because he did that for David, look what we can do in verse 6. For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Amen. Amen. Let's confess our sins quickly and get forgiveness from God like David did. You know some of the sins of David. We have a list of over 10 sins of David that the Bible gives us. David confessed his sins. God forgave him his sins. And he went right on being the man after God's own heart and the standard for all other men. Self-righteous men love to sit back and pick on David. But they sitting in their chairs in their glass ivory towers are far worse than David and never amount to anything in their lives and cannot compare themselves to David by any stretch of anyone's imagination. David was far their superior. Sin forgiven is sin forgotten, gone, and glorious. Didn't even happen. Ignore it. That's why men in the Bible are called blameless. That's why we are told to be blameless. That's why we are told to be harmless. How can we be blameless and harmless? By confessing our sins and going forward. Making amends wherever we need to with other men. But God forgives. And David confessed quickly. Few confess and repent as quickly as David did after Bathsheba and after numbering Israel. Nathan the prophet told a terrible story to David. David said the man needs to be killed. Nathan said thou art the man. David said I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan said, the Lord hath forgiven thee. Now, how long does that take? About three seconds. Thou art the man. I have sinned against the Lord. The Lord hath forgiven thee. David died in peace on his bed. David died with a covenant being made with him. God knowing all aspects and circumstances of his life. God made a covenant with David. He didn't make it with Saul. He didn't make it with anyone else. He made it with David. That David's son, the Lord Jesus Christ, would sit on David's throne forever. And, the, and David's son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is on that throne right now. Amen. At this hour, at the right hand of Almighty God, the majesty on high in heaven. Because he knew how to confess his sins. The detailed, the detailed confession of sin, of I have sinned against the Lord in adultery and murder, is found in Psalm 51. And you should know Psalm 51. You should know that when you need to confess a sin, Psalm 51 gives you a little manual for how to confess a sin. It is thorough, it is self-denigrating, it is begging, it is pleading, it is acknowledging that God is right and that David was wrong and that if God would forgive him, he will be about the business of God again immediately, Amen. which is the way that it should be. Thank you, Lord. There are so many verses that we could turn to. He knew what was necessary, and if you'll turn one page over to Psalm 34, let's have introduced to us something that David taught us Something he mentioned in his confession of his sins of adultery and murder to God 
And that is to have a broken and a contrite spirit. That is to have a humble heart, a broken heart. I'm wrong, God's right. You're righteous, I'm wicked. Your commandments are pure. Your commandments are better. I perverted that which was right. I love Job 33. Maybe we'll go there in a second. Psalm 34 and verse 18. Look at this. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart. This is a psalm of David. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. What does the devil tell you when you've sinned? Where is the Lord? Is he near or far? Far away. Oh, yeah, far away. Who's telling you that? I'm, I'm, I'm giving you David instead. Instead of the devil telling you that God's far away, he's not going to hear you now, you sinner, you culprit, you scoundrel. You're no good for God. Look at you. You can't even make it a day without sinning again. You're so perverted and corrupt and wicked. That's the devil talking to you. Look what David said to you. The Lord is nigh, that means close by and near, unto them that are of a broken heart. Break your heart and God's there because that's what he's looking for from us is a broken heart. He's not looking for a perfect life. He's not looking for a perfect prayer. He's looking for a broken heart. What is a broken heart? You're right, I'm wrong. That's all that it takes. You're right, I'm wrong. You don't want me to do that. I will not do it anymore. That's a broken heart. I will not hide it. I will not protect it. I will not excuse it. I will not justify it. You're right. I'm wrong. Amen. God's right there. Look at, ah, oh, we don't want to look at Elihu. He's not David. Who's Elihu? You know that it's a great confession of sin in, Psalm, in Job 33, verses 27 and 28. I have sinned by perverting that which is right. It profited me not. Have mercy upon me. He repented quickly for forgiveness. Look at Psalm 66 and verse 18. He understood all about sin and we should learn from him. We want to understand sin and confession and the R factor and repentance and forgiveness like he did. Power for living and complete pardon by God require speedy and fervent repentance because as soon as you repent and God forgives you, the power of the Spirit is restored in your life. Right. So you can go on living victoriously in just seconds. You don't have to flagellate yourself on the back with a whip. You don't have to crucify yourselves in the streets of Manila like the Filipinos. You don't have to do things like that. All you've got to do is confess your sin and have a broken heart and you're forgiven. Jump up and go on. You say, that's just, that's just beyond my thinking. Good. That, I don't know anybody that has a way like that with forgiving. Per Good. Because God said... My ways are not your ways, and my thoughts are not your thoughts. As the heaven is high above the earth, so are my ways and thoughts above your ways and thoughts. And when he said that, he was talking about forgiveness, because no one that you know sent their only begotten Son who was perfect and died on the cross for your sins. God has already done that for you. Your sins are paid for. His mercy is infinite. It's higher than the heavens. Confess it and go on. He wants you to go on. Because when you go on, do you know what you're saying? You love me. You are a great God. You're full of mercy. And Jesus Christ died an all-sufficient death on the cross. Amen. You're praising God when you jump up and act like you didn't sin. Psalm 66 and verse 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. One thing we know about David, God did hear his prayers. Then the earth shook. Psalm 18 and about verse 6. 
Then the earth shook when David prayed, because David understood this. Don't you let unconfessed sin of any sin in your life, thought, speech, deed, commission, omission. Do you know what we mean when we say those words? Sins of omission are when you omit things you should do. You don't think what you should think. You don't say what you should say. You're too quiet. You're a fly on the wall when you shouldn't be. You ought to be a David. And you don't do the things that you should do. Those are sins of omission. You omit to do what God wants you to do. Then there's sins of commission when you commit things that you shouldn't do. You think things you shouldn't. You say things that you should not say. And you do things that you shouldn't. It doesn't matter what kind of sin it is. If you've got it, confess it. Lord, forgive us all, each of us, individually, right now, any sin that crosses our minds. Forgive us secret faults. Forgive us presumptuous sins. Hold us back from those presumptuous sins, lest they have dominion over us. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us through the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Forgive us through your faithfulness and justness. Forgive us through your abundant pardon because your ways and your thoughts are higher than our ways and thoughts. Amen. Number 46. Christ lover by prophecy. Christ lover by prophecy. David didn't know about the Lord Jesus Christ like you know him, but he did know him. He just knew him obscurely. He wrote of things that he wasn't fully aware of like we are. But he loved the Lord Jesus Christ. Number 46, Christ, lover, by prophecy. From the beginning, the Bible, and David knew these verses, from the beginning, the Bible told us about the seed of the woman that was coming as early as Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, that the seed of the woman would deal a fatal blow to the devil. The devil would only mark his heel. With Christ Jesus promised to David, David begged for fulfillment of those promises. In 2 Samuel chapter 7 and 1 Chronicles chapter 17, the same event, God promised to build David a house, meaning I'm going to give you my son in your family tree. It's called the sure mercies of David. The Bible speaks of it from that point forward all the way to the last chapter of the Bible. It's one of the greatest transactions. It is the greatest transaction God ever had with a man was for God to promise him that God's son would be David's son. It's just incredible. But when that exchange took place in 2 Samuel 7, yes, I'm, I want you to love 2 Samuel 7 and 1 Chronicles 17. When that exchange took place, David begged God for fulfillment of the promises because he understood and appreciated exactly how great they were and he died with those same thoughts in his lips that I gave you last Lord's Day. These be the last words of David, 2 Samuel 23. Although my house be not so with God, after he had described a perfect ruler, although my house be not so with God, yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and sure, for this is all my salvation and all my desire, although he make it not to grow. Amen. It won't be very obvious in my family tree, but when it gets to the one that it's written about, it will be obvious, and that's all my salvation and all my desire. Is Jesus Christ that much to you that you can blow off the rest of your family tree for him? You better be able to do that because he's going to find out if you'll do it. And if you're not willing to do it, you're not worthy to be his disciple. And you don't show the evidence of eternal life. Anybody can mouth the words of, 
I love Jesus like a parrot does, but who's willing to pay a price to follow Christ above anyone else? David was. David said so even on his deathbed. Christ's lover by prophecy. The Messianic Psalms. Should I take a little rabbit trail here and turn you to 10 or 15 of the Messianic Psalms? I think that would destroy any accomplishment in this sermon series. But I would love to do that. I have taught you the Messianic Psalms very simply before. Which one do you want to look at right now? Which one is your favorite? Do you know what a Messianic Psalm is? It's a psalm that David wrote about the Lord Jesus Christ. There's about 20 of them in the 150 psalms. Some of them are entirely dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ. What's the first one that we come to in the book of Psalms out of 150? Psalm 2. You can only get to Psalm 2 and he's talking about Jesus. Look at Psalm 2. David loved Jesus Christ. Do you love Jesus Christ? For you to be like David, you have to love the son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ. For you to be like David, you have to love the Son of God like David did. He was a Christ lover. Psalm 2, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? Psalm 2, 1. What people and what heathen are being talked about here? The people are the Jews of the generation of Jesus Christ and the heathen are the Romans of the generation of Jesus Christ. It's Pilate and Herod of the Romans and it's the chief priests, the scribes, and the Pharisees of the Jews conspiring together to throw off the yoke of God and the dominion of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the whole psalm is about God is going to set his son on his holy hill of Zion anyway, and he is going to laugh and have all these enemies of his son in derision. They put him in a tomb. The mighty Roman Empire, whose iron-shod boots dominated the world, brought the signet of the Roman Empire of Pilate and sealed that tomb. Wow, that's impressive. I don't know if it was on his hand like a ring or not. You don't care, do you? It was a sick, well, they sealed that tomb. Wow, big Roman Empire. How much good did it do? None at all. There was a great earthquake. How does wax hold up against a great earthquake? There was a great earthquake, and the angel of the Lord descended. What does a signet do against the angel of the Lord? That stone was removed, and that body took the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ again and rose from the dead. It's all right here. It's all right here in Psalm 2. There's wonderful things in Psalm 2. Ask of me, verse 8, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance. Yes, we're the heathen, and he's inherited us. We're his brethren. God's adopted us. Thou shalt, verse 9, thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, and so forth and so on. Okay, since you were slow in answering with your favorite messianic psalm, what's mine? 45, you got that right. My heart is indicting a good matter. I speak of the things which I have made touching the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Thou art fairer than the children of men. Grace is poured into thy lips. Gird thy sword upon thy thigh, O most mighty, with thy glory and thy majesty. It's verse 4 now. And in thy majesty ride prosperously because of truth and meekness and righteousness. And thy right hand shall teach thee terrible things. In the right hand of the Lord Jesus Christ is a sword 
and he displayed and proved his warlike ability in destroying his enemies for the benefit of the woman that he was going to marry. And the woman he's going to marry in this beautiful psalm is you and me. Right. And do you know what he thinks of us? Verse 11, so shall the king greatly desire thy beauty. Oh, it's a great psalm. Look what it says in verse 17. And I hope verse 17 has in some little way a description of my life because of this psalm and other places like it in the Bible. I will make thy name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore shall the people praise thee forever and ever. I want to make the name of this king, this prince, known in all generations. We're spreading it abroad through our website. Pray for the website. There's a big week ahead of our webmaster. Don't ask him about it. You're rude and inconsiderate to ask him. I love you. Protect him. Just pray for him. Why do you think asking him helps? I, I really need help on some of your social skills where you learned them. How does that help for him to answer the question, how is your project going 145 times? I'm glad you're concerned. Take it to the Lord. Ask the Lord. Lord, how's it going over there in Matthew's study? That's better. Ask the Lord. Ask the Lord to help him so that we can make this known. We want to make Psalm 45 known. Psalm 45 is out there. Psalm 45 is out there described to the whole world as a messianic psalm. He was a Christ lover. Are you a lover of the Lord Jesus Christ? When you want to read the most graphic details of Jesus dying on the cross, do you go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, or Psalm 22? You go to Psalm 22. Psalm 22 describes the agony of Jesus Christ more than any of the gospel accounts. Number 47. He delighted in God himself. Delighted in God himself. Number 47. You say it sounds just like 44. It's not just like 44. 44 is contented. I'm not talking about contentment now. I'm talking about raging enthusiasm, excitement and delight, glory and triumph, exalting and exalting. That's with an A and with a U. Delighted in God himself. He didn't delight in the other things that people delight in. He delighted in God himself. This is one of the special traits of David that sets him apart from most Christians. You know this point, this trait, from Psalm 37 and verse 4. Delight thyself all... What's that third word? Delight thyself also. We better go look at it. What's an also there for? That means two things are being compared. Right. Psalm 37. I do not want you to be merely contented. The Lord doesn't want you to be merely contented with Him. The Lord wants you to be excited about Him. Right. He's worthy of excitement. No wonder David could dance with how much effort? All his might. All his might. Amen. Oh, interesting. Are those Bible words? Danced with all his might. Do you know how big that box was? Four and a half feet long. Just a little Ark of the Covenant. little tiny thing. A couple little tiny cherubims over it. Danced with all his might. Do you know why? 
because it represented the place on earth where the Lord Jehovah would come and dwell and meet with his people and that a high priest could go in and visit with him once a year for just a few minutes and sprinkle a little blood on that mercy seat for the sins of the whole nation. It was everything to David. I'm sorry to God and to you if I ever get in this pulpit I'm not excited about the truth of God's word and about his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the salvation that we have in him, the hope of glory and all the blessings of, the, of God to us. There's only one way to live. It's all or nothing. It's hot or cold. You can't stand lukewarm. I think that's very fair. He's a great king and a great God. I think Jerry went off on that this morning in the back room from Malachi chapter 1 and verse 14, that God's a great king. He deserves the best we have. So when he says either be hot or cold, but don't be lukewarm because I'll spew you out of my mouth. If you want to be cold and fall in love with this world, go ahead and do it. Have fun. I'll see you later. We should be all for him, all out for him and delight in the Lord. Psalm 37 and verse 4 is where we learn this trait. Delight is the first word. Delight thyself also in the Lord. That is when you think something is delicious and truly get excited about it because it's a delight to you. It causes you so much joy, excitement, triumph, gladness of heart. You're thrilled by it. Delight. It's a choice. It's a verb. It's an imperative verb. Delight thyself also in the Lord. Now the word also is there because of verse 3. Trust in the Lord. That's faith. And do good. That's obedience. Trust and obey. Trust in the Lord and do good, so shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Let me read that to you again. Do you want to stop at Psalm 37 and verse 3? Psalm 37 and 3 is good. Psalm 37 and verse 4 is better. It's better in what you do, and it's better in what God does. I want you to have more than faith and obedience. I want you to do more than trust and obey. I want you to dance with all your might. What other passage was read this morning about dancing? It, it referred to hinds feet. It referred to high places. I need a book of the Bible. Let's start with a testament. What testament was it? Old book? Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17 through 19. There were six economic disasters, yet I will rejoice in the God of my salvation, and he'll make my feet like hinds feet. You have never seen lighter dancing feet than female deer. On a treadmill, I look like a male elephant compared to a hind. Light foot. It's beautiful. Dancing. Okay, Psalm 37.3. Trust in the Lord and do good. That's trust and obey. Do you understand that? That's faith. That's obeying. That's obedience. That's being a good Christian. So shalt thou dwell in the land. I won't chase you out of it. And verily thou shalt be fed. I'll provide your daily needs. Then we have an also. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Now, the, now we're raised up a little bit. The Lord's asking for a little bit more out of this verse. David's asking for a little bit more. And he's going to give a little bit more, the desires of our heart. You know, being fed is the desires of our body. It's what you've got to have to survive. Not being thrown into the land is just bare survival. But how about the desires of your heart? But we want the first half of this verse, delight thyself also in the Lord. 
to be excited about the Lord himself. Something set David apart from other men, and a chief trait was his passion for God. David believed and trusted God. He was content and satisfied, but he was also delighted in God. He added delight to his faith like we should. Listen to some of David's terms and their shades of meaning compared to delight that are found in the book of Psalms. I will make my boast of him. Now that's delighting in him. That's not trusting and obeying. That's beyond it. I will make my boast of him. I will glory in the Lord. I will rejoice. I will be glad. I will take pleasure. And my meditation of him shall be sweet. That's delight in something or someone. And David's choice was to delight and have these other verbs describing his thoughts of God. Compare other inspired words of David's actions and passions toward God that exceeded all others recorded in the Bible. One of the top ten favorite sermons I've ever preached in my life is Psalm 37.4, Delight thyself also in the Lord. It was my favorite verse in the Bible for 40 years of my life. It may still be. The jury's out because I don't like deciding. They're all wonderful. Some are more wonderful than others. It's a wonderful subject, brethren. Listen to these verbs. These are verbs from David's Psalms that are describing action or passion toward the Lord. Now, you say you just used this a list. Yes, those are ones that are specifically comparable, comparable to uh, delight. These are a little different. You'll see. Bless. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. That's more than trust and obey. That's blessing him. Are you with me? Bless, exalt, love. I will love thee, O Lord. Love, dance, praise, sing, play, boast, muse, remember, worship, build, invent, shout, clap, meditate, magnify, triumph. You like that list? That's David. You say, but those are all Old Testament things. Yeah, really? No. Yeah. Lifting up holy hands. Lifting up holy hands. Where do you find that in the Old Testament? I thought it was 1 Timothy chapter 2. Clapping, shouting, triumph. It sounds like a sports venue in America, except they're shouting and clapping and triumphing over nothing. And we're shouting and clapping and triumphing, or David was, and he's exhorting us to, about the Lord. This is different and it's better than delight in the Bible, than delight in doctrine or truth, than delight in the church. Those are secondary. David loved God's house more than anyone here, though we want to compete. He loved God's public worship. Why? Because God was there. And that's where he saw God in the sanctuary. Psalm 27 and verse 4, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord. Why did David want to get to church? So that he could see God there and be satisfied as with marrow and fatness in his soul. That's why he wanted to be there. Everything came back to God. Did you say something about whose God is the Lord? David's God was the Lord. His great ambition, desire, and thrill were God alone. He was his exceeding joy. 
Who else in the Bible invented musical instruments to praise God like David? No one. Who else wrote lyrics like David did? No one. Who else organized choirs and orchestras like David did for the worship of God? No one. Who expected the musical production to be loud, joyful, skillful, creative, meaning a new song, and perpetual? David. Who else said any of those things? You say, well, when we get to the book of Revelation, it looks like that's the way it is in heaven. How did David know all that while he was on earth? Because he was a man after God's own heart. Do not be distracted by any of God's gifts, natural or spiritual. We are the most prosperous, luxurious, pampered, coddled generation that has ever lived. I mean, spiritually. God has poured out so much on us spiritually, naturally, nationally, financially, domestically, physically. We have so much. Do not be distracted by any of God's gifts, natural or spiritual. Love only the giver. Right. Is the point right here. Love only the giver. For much more about delighting in God, you can type that into a search box on our website as well, and you'll get more. That's number 47. So what have we learned today? We have learned, if number 44, to be contented with God himself. That way nothing can ever hurt you because you are contented, because you have God. And do you know what he said? Do you know what he said? Do you know what he said when he told you to be contented with him? I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Amen. And that's when he told you to be contented. That's Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Right. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Number 45, repent quickly and God will forgive you. Leap up and go about your duties as if you had never sinned because they're wiped away. You say, well, you're talking like God forgets sins. Their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Amen. That's what he said. He said he would throw them in the deepest sea. He said he would separate his sins from you as far as the east is from the west. Where does the east meet the west? Never. He said he'll put them behind his back. Oh, they're under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't ever question that issue. Number 46, a Christ lover by prophecy. David was a Christ lover in the Old Testament, and his messianic psalms prove it. Do you have a favorite messianic psalm? I'm scared if you don't have one. Why don't you have one? How can you say you're a lover of Christ? There's a, there's a decent sermon on the website called the Messianic Psalms, and it will take you through. If you can't stand the voice, go to the outline, and it will lead you through the Messianic Psalms just briefly so that you can find your favorite. Number 47, delighted in God himself. Yes, that's our David. That's what we want to be like. Lord, help us. Please stand with me.